Hi, welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we continue in our series, looking at the purpose of the church, we come to today's study on understanding the church as missionary. We will see that as Christ's ambassadors, we are called to rightly, relationally reveal God to all of creation. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. When I served in the Caribbean as a teacher and administrator of a school, we would, we would have two weeks out of the year where a Christian group would come down and would speak to the kids. So we would have time out of class, and then uh, they would listen to these lectures and participate in games and fun activities. It was a chance for us to put Christian emphasis into this Christian high school. We called those weeks spiritual emphasis. On one such week, uh, the kids that came down came from a college, They had a lot of energy, and our high schoolers were really interested to listen to them. And we broke our our teaching sessions so that we would go out and play some games. And the game for this day was flag football. I always loved flag football when I was a kid. And as I was gathering the things ready, the kids were dismissed out to the field. And as I made my way out there, I noticed not a single child was on the field wanting to play. All of them, in fact, the the upperclassmen had the best spots, but they were sitting, where do you suppose? Not in the sun, but in the shade, taking it easy. And here were these college kids that had come down from Ohio, and they too were in the hot sun, but they were ready to play, ready to have a good time. But I could not get my own high school kids to get in the game. I, I couldn't understand it. So I went over to some of the leaders, those that were kind of, you know, the ones, if I could get these few to get in, well, they would draw the others, right? If I could get some of the leaders in high school to step up, to get involved, to get in the game, then the others would follow. And as I approached them, these were some of the excuses that I heard. They said, it's too hot. It's too hot. It wasn't even noon yet. Come on, it wasn't too hot. Uh, here's another good one. I'm tired. I had a late night. I'm tired. Uh, one of them said, I don't have the right shoes on. Right? They, they didn't feel that they were adequately equipped to play the game. Right? I didn't bring the right shoes. Another one, my stomach, my stomach hurts. Uh, the ground is, there's rocks on the ground. I, I'm telling you, they could find any excuse possible not to play. And I, I was a little discouraged. I had a, a, few, a handful of 7th graders that were excited enough to be out there and playing. So I went over because the college kids were still ready to go. And uh, I'll never forget, the college kids turned to me and the impression that they got of our school was one of a school of complainers. Right? Because that's what it looked like. These kids don't want to participate. And here they came down to present to them a fun time and have a good time. But even within their own school, even to be a member of their own group, they didn't want to participate. You got a school of complainers, he said. They look like they're more interested in their own comfort. The word I would attach to this would be just selfish, right? And, and I get it, they're teenagers and you can't make them always participate. But it really impacted me, the perception from an outsider. That, that really impacted me. Because I, I have known these kids for a long time, and you know I get it, and I understand, and sometimes I set my expectations high, but yeah, I know they're kids, right? But someone who's not in the midst of them, someone who's not in the inside, someone who's on the outside, turns and they look at that and they think, that's a bunch of complainers. They're not, they're not only interested in their own comfort. They don't want to participate at all. This is true of the church as well. Maybe not perhaps the idea of participation 
God, help us that we would be those who would participate. As we saw last week, what does it mean to be a member of a church? Do you remember? It means active participation, right? With a diversity of gifting and a unity of purpose for the benefit and the building of the whole to the glory of God, right? That's what it means to be a new creation. It means to belong to the body of Christ. And that body is called the what? Called the church, right? But the part that still is true, just like it was with my school in the Caribbean, is that people will begin to form their understanding of God by looking at you. People on the outside will begin to conceive of how they think of God before they ever open a Bible, before they ever come to church. They will form their understanding and their opinions by watching you, by watching your lifestyle. And the conclusions they will come to are sometimes lasting impressions as to who God is. I can, and I think all of us can see this sometimes in our world when we look at television. Um, you ever seen one of the, an athlete that gets an award, you know, maybe a championship, and the first thing out of their mouths is, "We, I just want to thank who? I just, I just want to thank God. And what, what a testimony to give, right? You have a platform now, and instead of taking credit for yourself, they thank God. You know what? The outside world watches that. Or maybe you've got a, a, a bumper sticker on your car, Jesus saves, right? And then you're driving and that dude in front of you is so slow and you're just, and then oh, there's a car coming, can't pass, and you're just tailing him. Come on, I know you, we do this, right? And then finally spin around him, cut him off, and sure enough, what does this guy see? Staring at him. There's a Christian, Jesus saves, right? A guy that's been tailing me for 10 miles. Here's one that I'm always conscious of. When I go out to eat, I pray. I'm at a restaurant and the meal is coming. Together we hold hands and publicly we bow our heads before the King of Kings and we thank Him for the meal. And the waitress, <laughs> I try to time it so she's not bringing something right You know, at that moment. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? Like I don't want to you know, make it awkward for them, but invariably she's got to come and then she tries to be respectful because here we are praying, right? And I know... That she is going to form an opinion about God and Christians based upon how I what at the end of the meal? How I tip. That's right. And many Christians, instead of leaving money, they'll leave a little attract. This is far more valuable than money. Uh, you, you want to know? You've already lost at that point. The impression has already been made. Or how about when you watch the news and you see those... Christians against who they think is wrong, those people in whatever, maybe clinic or rally, and the Christians are the ones carrying signs that say the word God hates. You fill in the blank. And the world looks at that, and they begin to form an impression. They begin to come to a conclusion as to who they think you really worship, those Christians. Yeah, I want nothing to do with your God. If it's the kind of God that isn't going to tip, I was going to say that God hates people and that cuts me off in traffic. I want nothing to do with it. The fancy word for this is hermeneutic. It's basically a word that just means interpretation. The church is a hermeneutic of God, which is simply this. We are a lens. Same way that you wear spectacles. The same way that you would have corrective lenses to help you see clearly. The church is a lens by which the world sees who God is. And like it or not, your actions, whether good or bad, for following after the flesh or following after the Spirit, will be showing the world who you serve. 
Now, Christians, first of all, are not perfect. Anybody here perfect? There is, there is no excuse for, for um, an a unbeliever, an atheist that wants to make the accusation of a hypocritical attitude or, or you Christians are, are perfect because I'll be the first to say that's not what it means to be a Christian. Right? Sinlessness is something that belonged to one man who walked the earth. What was his name? Jesus Christ, that's right. And by His blood, I am forgiven. And so when I want to come before the world, I'm the first to say that I am not perfect. But we need to be right up front with that, such that they would understand there is grace that is given to the world. And it transforms me. I don't live like I used to. Yeah, I used to be greedy for money. I don't want to tip. In fact, you didn't even bring me my food in time, right? So I'm, I'm going to show her. Or that guy is driving so slow and I'm in a hurry and I'm going to show them. There was a time where that, and maybe you can still feel that sometimes, but I'm changed, church. I'm not who I used to be because I met the King of Kings. And He has shown me a life greater than the one I used to live. We have been in a message uh, a titled uh, a sermon series called Purpose of the Church. And over the last couple of weeks, we looked at, uh, first of all, the church as messenger. Do you remember? That we carry the message of what? Reconciliation. And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And we saw last week that the church is actually members of how many? One body. And together, as a new creation, there's a diversity Amongst us. Not everybody is an eye. Not everybody is an ear. Not everybody is a hand. Not everybody is a foot. But together we have a single purpose. Which is to build up the body. To serve for one another as iron sharpens iron. Encouraging one another on till we look to the day of our king's return. For the glory of God. That's what it means for the church to be one body. Well, this morning our message is going to look at the next stage as we take a look at this passage in 2 Corinthians as the church as missionary. You may not have known that's what you were signing up for when you came to Jesus Christ, but like it or not, church, like it or not, you are a missionary. And the people around whom you spend your time, they are watching And subconsciously, most of the time, and intentionally, occasionally, they are learning what a Christian looks like. And therefore, who God is by how we live. You are a missionary. If you brought your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians as we have been and will continue to be for the remainder of this message. In chapter 5, we will read again verses 16 through 21, and then we're going to land right in verse 20. That's where we're going to focus our attention this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Paul writes these words. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, 
be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In these very beautiful but packed verses in 2 Corinthians, we see the purpose for the church. And today as we look at what it means to be a missionary, I want you to know that that which God entrusted to Christ, which was revealing the Father, if you were at Bible study this week, you might remember that we looked at uh, the words that come from Scripture, they're whose words? They're God's words. And Jesus himself will say that the words that you hear me say are not from myself. For I speak the Father's words. My words come from him. And as Paul followed Jesus, Paul was now given the task of revealing who the Father was. And now Paul, to the church in Corinth, passes the mantle on to the church. To say in the same way that Jesus made the Father known, and now that I follow Jesus, I make the Father known. Now church, you follow Paul and his instruction to what? Make the Father known. And here in verse 20, we have this beautiful phrase. He says, we are therefore Christ's, what's your Bible say? Ambassadors. It's a beautiful word. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So part of what it means to be the church, the new creation, is to understand that there is a progression of these duties that pass from God to Jesus, to Paul, to the church, to you and to me as missionaries. For we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. There's a few conclusions I want us to see in here as we look at it. Uh, The first is this. It's the idea of possession. Whose ambassadors are you? You're not your own. You're not your parents. You're not your businesses. You are and have been given a calling higher than anything else you would receive on earth. For you are no longer owned by yourself. It may come as a shock to many of us. Uh, hopefully when you got married, the, the pastor or, or, or um, marital counseling time you may have had would have shown you that within the marriage relationship, you, you don't belong to yourself anymore. Let me hear an amen from the married folks. Amen. (laughs) Now two become one. There is a union together. And the same is true when you came to know Jesus Christ. You no longer belong to yourself anymore. If you belong to Christ, it must follow that we ought to therefore act in a right manner as though Christ would act. Don't act wrong. What's the opposite of wrong? Act right. I don't know if I'm inventing a new word, but the word rightly comes to mind, right? We need to act rightly. There's a passage that might help us with this. If you're in your Bibles, turn back to 1 Corinthians, just a few pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul, in his previous letter, is going to address one of the problems they've been having. The root of it is this question of identity that they don't know who they belong to. They've missed the understanding of possession. And though that's the problem, the evidence of the problem was terrible in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look with me, starting in verse 12. Paul says, everything is permissible for me. And the church said, amen, that's right, I can do whatever I want. Every, the Bible said it, everything's permissible. 
Paul's going to say it's true. I'll agree with Paul. You have liberty and you have freedom in Christ. There is no longer any requirement of the law that says you must do this. Because grace is what we receive now. So it's true. Everything is permissible. But look at the next statement. But not everything is beneficial. So yeah, there are boundaries. Many times very clear boundaries placed upon what is allowed and acceptable within the Christian life. He repeats it. Everything is permissible for me, but... I will not be mastered by anything. Because who is your master, church? Christ alone is your master. He is called Lord. And by Lord, you're declaring He's in charge of my life. And we as a body, as believers, would understand that Jesus Christ is called our what? It's called our head. So can the hand be doing whatever it wants to do, right? Can't be doing this. The head is what's in charge. He's our master. So Paul says, everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything, for I have a master. Verse 13, food for the stomach, and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. So some people struggled with um, uh, eating too much. I mean, you put enough butter on it, ribs, I mean, right? Amen, church, right? I mean, it's hard sometimes, right? The body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's very quickly to move from an understanding of a a physical appetite for food, for people's appetite for (coughs) sex, and how that so easily within our world becomes perverted and becomes changed and doesn't operate the way God intended it to operate. The body is not meant for sexuality, but what is it meant for? But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. This is a big one for people. We, I, this does not get preached enough. God owns your body. See, we think that we give God a little bit of our money and a little bit of our time and a little bit of our attention. But my body is my body. And whatever inclinations it follows, whatever desires come from it, hey man, that's my choice. Who are you to judge? And time out. I know I may not be the one to judge, but your body doesn't belong to you. Your body was made for the Lord. Which matters for what you put into it. And matters for how you use it. Verse 14. By His power God raised the Lord from the dead and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are... What's it, what's it there? What's it say? Members. Great review from last week, right? Your bodies are members. Which means if we're members of Christ's body, this involves your person, who you are. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. The Corinthian church had a problem. They were looking around to some of the worship practices of other Other peoples, uh, the Temple of Diana and Artemis and and the marketplace cults. And one of the things that they would practice is this type of uh, worship through prostitution in in church. Can you imagine? I mean, it boggles our mind today because we kind of hold that as something that's definitely taboo within our world. But they needed this instruction. We need to heed it as well to understand that if we're not even going off the rails so far into prostitution, guess what? Your body still belongs to God. This is what he says in verse 17. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. 
So, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body, this is worth underlining right here, got it? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. Thank goodness. Thank goodness I'm not my own. I'm glad that God holds call over this body, over this life. Because you know what? When things are going well, it's not a problem. But what about when things aren't going well? Do you ever get a bad call from the doctor? Anybody in here taking pills daily? Anybody in here know what it's like to, to struggle? Well, listen here. As much as you suffer, you understand God lives in this body as well. He lives right here with you. He knows exactly what you're going through. You are not far from Him. So I, for one, am thankful that God holds call over this You are not your own. Verse 20. Note this. You were bought at a price. I'll give you a dollar. Three dollars. Four dollars. I'll trade you for this bushel of apples. No, look here. You were paid with a price as costly as anything in the universe. The blood of God's own Son is the price tag attached to your body. So you are not your own. You were bought, paid for, signed, sealed, delivered to a new master. So you're ambassadors, right? I mean, that's what it says up here. You're ambassadors, but you are whose ambassadors? You are Christ's ambassadors. That's the first thing we need to see is that Paul, before he can even give you your, your mission, this is what you are as a missionary, he's first got to give you identification. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to God You are His possession. Number two is this. It's your profession. So now you're given a job, right? What's the title? I am a... Ambassador. That's what I am. It's a a great word. Here's what it means. Uh, You are an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. That's what an ambassador is. Somebody who goes and speaks on behalf of the king or the country. Now, there's a reason why you send an ambassador. And this is the part we need to get into. All right? If you want to understand the profession, if you want to understand your job here as being part of the church, you've got to know that the reason why it's called an ambassador is because God himself doesn't go. He sends who? He sends you. Now, he doesn't send you, and no ambassador would get paid at all if they just stood at a distance and was like, Hey, hey yo, I'm from over here. That's not the job of an ambassador. Ambassador's job... Come right down and be with the people. Because God doesn't do this. God doesn't leave heaven. He doesn't come down into a different country. Guess who he sends? He sends you to go down. And so if we're really going to understand what it means to be an ambassador, you've got to define it this way. An ambassador is somebody who is a relational representative. Did you get that? You are a relational representative. People are forming their opinions about God by watching you, by looking at the church. Neighbors, the guy down the street, sees you leaving to go to church on Sunday and watching how you live the rest of your life. But he will never make that next step until you become relational. An ambassador. That's what the word means. It's somebody who goes. You can't be an ambassador and stay at home. 
You can't be an ambassador and sit comfortably watching the game. You can't. You've got to go to them, invite them over, go fishing with them, go hunting with them, go shopping with them. I don't care what it takes. You've got to be an ambassador that is relational, that connects with people. That's the profession. That's the job. That's the long and the short of it. God stays and sends you as His ambassador. You are a relational representative. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 6. Second place where this word is used. Right at the very end of the book, Paul has been taken into prison and he will say both in Philippians and Ephesians that look, it's a good thing that I've been arrested. Because guess what that has done? There's a bunch of hardened soldiers out there. These guys locking me up that I would never have had the chance to speak to. But guess what? What do I have now? I'm a relational representative. And these guys who've been working in the jail cells, guess what they get to hear? I'll bet you Paul wasn't quiet at all. They're probably like, that dude never shuts up. He's always talking about Jesus Christ. He saw himself as an ambassador. Everybody there with me? Ephesians chapter 6, look with me in verse 19. Right at the very end, he says, pray for me. That whenever I open my mouth, which we know Paul's always opening his mouth. Whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am a, what's it say? I'm an ambassador in where? Yeah, that's where he's at. But he is a relational representative. That is who he is. He has gone and he is with the people. And that is our profession as well. Number one, your possession is Jesus Christ. He owns you. He owns your body. That's the long and short of it. Your profession now is to be somebody who is relationally representing God. Not from a distance. Somebody who's getting in there and interacting. And we're all there. Look, I, I know. I know it right now. You listen to me just like, all right, I'm kind of following. But you have people that you interact with every day. You don't even have to go to South America. You don't need to go to China. You don't need to go to India. You don't need to go anywhere in the islands. God has made you a missionary with the people that you see every day. All right, number three is this. We are therefore given a purpose. If you go back to 2 Corinthians your purpose says that you are his ambassador. And what does that mean? It's as though what? As though God were making his appeal through you, through us. That's the goal of it. That's the purpose. The purpose of everything that God has accomplished in purchasing you as his possession and giving you the profession as one who is relationally representing him is this right here. So that now... God makes His appeal through who? Through who? Say, through me. through me. Through me. God makes His appeal through me. And people are watching. Have you guys ever seen one of those megaphones? I'm talking like the cheerleaders back in the day. You know, the... What? Yeah. Fight, fight, rah, rah, right? Yeah. That's what, that's what you are. God would be holding you up and focusing you at a certain part of His world, His vineyard here, and making His appeal through what? We're like the megaphone. That's our job. What's the job of a megaphone? Well, it doesn't say anything. It speaks God's words. It, it or a megaphone represents the person who's, who's doing the speaking. Well, the same is true for us. As the church, you have a purpose. God makes His appeal. Not through the angels. Not through fairy dust. Not even firstly 
through His Word. It starts with you. Now, you carry His Word. Don't try to make it up on your own. We've already seen that you've been given the message of reconciliation, right? So you don't need to work on that at all. Just say what He told you to say. But God doesn't do it apart from His people. He's reclaiming the world. And He's doing it through you. Now, maybe you sit here and you say, well, that's for somebody else. <laughs> you don't know me, man. I, I ain't got this. You think I have a verse for you? Guess what? I got a verse for you this morning, right? All right, go to 1 Corinthians, right at the beginning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because you got to see this. If ever you think that church was just a place you could go, which it's not. Church was a service you could do, which it's not. And that you've been kind of keeping all this business of being a missionary at arm's length thinking it's for someone else. You know, we'll support them and we'll do, you know, we'll, we'll pray for them. But that's not for me. That's for someone else. Because I really am not good. You don't know me, Pastor. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. You don't know me. 1 Corinthians. Are we there? 1 Corinthians, verse 26. Um, chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers, Paul says, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential, and not many of you were noble. So what are these three characteristics? You're dumb. <laughs> you don't influence anybody. People couldn't give a, a care. And, uh, and you really, you know, you're not worth much as a family. You're not noble by birth. Right? That's, that's the people that are being called here, right? All right, verse 27. But God chose. See, God doesn't think like the world thinks. Like God doesn't sit down when you want to come to Him and be like, all right, let me see your resume. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to work on this a little bit. Uh, if, I, if I were to bring you in, you know, you're going to shape up? You know, things are going to... God doesn't work like that. What's it say? He said, God chose the foolish things of the world. Amen. <laughs> God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the... What's it say? The weak things, guilty as charge, weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. You, you don't have you don't have an excuse. <laughs> Sorry, came to church today, got no excuse. This is your purpose. God is making His appeal to the world through. You, and they are watching. I may be here this morning just to like tell you this is happening, whether you like it or not. This is going on. I would much rather prefer that the church say, yeah, I get it. I got a purpose. I understand I'm purchased by Christ, that I have a profession to be relationally related with people, and that God is going to save them through me, through using me, which ought to blow my mind, because what am I? I'm foolish. Give me an amen. Amen. I'm weak. Amen. And I'm lowly. I am these things. And we are all these things. In fact, you don't come to Christ any other way. And yet the Bible says, He chose you. He chose you. Lastly, I want you to see as we've looked at the profession, and the, the possession, the purpose, look at now the proclamation. At the very end of verse 20, He says, We implore you on Christ's behalf. What's the message? Be reconciled to God. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Reconciliation is that bridge. Remember that idea of the bridge, right? You've got to connect you from here over to here. That's where I want to be. I don't care about the fudge or the chocolate or whatever you got on this side. I need to be on this side. That's where I need to be. That's what reconciliation is. 
And we have the opportunity to share that with people, to share that with anyone we come in contact with. I want to wrap this up. Here is what I want to leave you with. The calling of the church is this. We need to rightly, relationally be revealing God. That's your task. Rightly, relationally be revealing God. It's rightly because we belong to who? Yeah, so we got to get it right. We, we belong to Christ. We are His ambassadors. So you've got to do this the right way. That may mean for you a change in how you live. That may mean for you a change in the habits that you have, the shows that you watch, the amount of spare ribs you eat. It may mean for you a change in some of the ways that you're thinking you are the master. You're not the master. You belong to somebody else. And the more that you follow after him, you'll achieve the right part of this. I'm like the rest of you. There was a time where I didn't know. And so you know what I did? I went to school. I learned. I went to Bible study. I want to encourage you. Come to Bible study. If you feel like, yeah, I I believe you, Pastor, but I I just don't know how to do it. Well, part of getting it right is education. We do that with one another. You don't even need to ask me. I know you know each other. Ask one another, how, how can we do this better? Let's pray together. Let's ask God to show us. Let's open his word. But whatever we do as his ambassadors, we got to do it right. Because we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Christ. Secondly, relationally is how we need to live because we are his ambassadors. And you cannot do this sitting at home. I'm going to send them an email. No, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there. And as the church rejoices with those who rejoice and weeps with those who weep, we've got to extend that kind of love beyond the borders of the congregation. We've got to extend that kind of love to our world. So get the first part right. We need to be rightly, what's the second word? Relationally. And the third is that process that's been handed to the church, revealing God. That's your purpose, is to real, reveal God. You are. You're doing it already. I want to encourage us to do it relationally. I want to encourage us to do it rightly. For we are Christ's ambassadors. So what do we do? This is what i got to say. Same thing I said to my high schoolers. You want to hear it? Get in the game. Come on, church. Get in the game, man. Oh, it's too hot. I'm tired. My stomach hurts. It's rocks. I don't have the right equipment. No. God chose the foolish, He chose the weak, He chose the lowly. So whatever excuse you want to pick, you're already qualified. You're in. All right, I'm too tired. Well, too bad. Because Jesus is coming, and people are still lost. And if you don't value your life here on earth for the purpose by which God has left you here, you're not serving God. You're serving yourself. And that's a dangerous place for the Christian to walk. So get in the game. That's what i got to leave you with. We already heard it from our scripture reading, but I want you to hear it one more time because you may not have caught it. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. Jesus says these words, You are the light of the world. Church, you hear me this morning? You're the light of the world. The Bible doesn't say Jesus is the light of the world. I struggled with that. People would say, Who's the light of the world? i say, Oh, Jesus is the light of the world. And no, that's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. And a town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then hide it under a bowl. 
Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. That they may see your good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven. Get in the game, church. Rightly, relationally, reveal God. Let's pray.